Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture today comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verses 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. This is the word of the Lord. It was definitely an aha moment for me the first time I encountered Gary Chapman's five love languages. Up until that point, I didn't have an awareness of the different ways that people registered love. I truly felt like everybody functioned just like me, which admittedly was a sign of immaturity, but it was also ignorance, and that ignorance, turns out, was not bliss. When Amy and I were first married, I was putting in all the hours I could to not only provide for my share of caring for the family, but also I would put in some extra work so I could build up some extra funds to buy her gifts. I loved buying gifts, and I, pe- I figured that people would enjoy receiving gifts just as much as I loved to give them. But for some reason, though, Amy didn't seem to appreciate them as I thought she should. As a matter of fact, she almost seemed to resent them a little bit, and I couldn't quite figure out why. Fortunately, also early on in our marriage, we took time to go through Chapman's book about the five love languages, where I learned about the languages of words of affirmation, gifts and tokens, acts of service, physical touch, and quality time. And we discovered that people have expressive and receptive languages, ways that we typically express love as a default, and ways that we most clearly experience love when others share it with us. And with that, Amy and I figured out some of the difficulty I was having. See, I had an expressive love language of gifts and tokens. I liked to get her stuff, and I was willing to put in the extra hours to get good stuff. And her receptive language was quality time. So not only were my gifts not exactly hitting the bullseye of her heart, but the extra time I was putting in at work was actually working against what I should have been offering as an act of love, spending meaningful time with her. Once we figured that out, we could make some adaptations, and I could focus less on gifts and more on time. And she knew to recognize my attempts as showing love, even if they weren't hitting right in the center of how she had been wired to experience love. That simple understanding has helped us to speak more directly to one another's hearts. That only helped us to grow closer, and the reason It's given us reason to intentionally check in from time to time to make sure we're still aiming at the right places of one another's hearts. It's a basic way to be intentional about a very important relationship. Strategic and intentional are not necessarily the most romantic words in the dictionary. However, a lack of intentionality can cause some unnecessary confusion and complication in a relationship. So it's wise to be purposeful in these important connections. That's true for spouses, for children, 
for family members. It's also true in our relationship with God. I think we have spiritual love languages too. These are ways that we experience a loving connection with God most powerfully. It doesn't mean that the other ways of connecting with God don't apply to us. The Holy Spirit has a lot of different ways to speak and convey love into our lives. However, my hope through this series is that you'll have a chance to grow deeper with God by better understanding how it is that you are designed to connect. That leads to our first lesson this morning. Some of us access the heart of God most powerfully through worship and scripture. Some of us access the heart of God most powerfully through worship and scripture. The psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Worship is definitely my spiritual love language. I could go through the motions of a lot of spiritual practices for a long time, but something happened one day several years ago when I was playing bass in a praise band, and I don't remember if it was a Sunday morning or if it was a watch night service where it was just hours long of praise and prayer, but we were playing a song that was very familiar to me, and I remember at one point I just closed my eyes, and I started playing the music, and for some reason it felt like my heart had lined up with God in a way that it had never done before. I, I was just experiencing the presence and pleasure of God in a way that I never had before in my life. I wasn't looking at the notes of the music anymore. I wasn't attending to the congregation. All I felt was the peace of being right where I was supposed to be, praising my God with my whole heart, with nothing held back. In that moment, my heart's alignment with God's heart was so unique, and it wasn't just a fluke for a moment. From that point forward, there was something in me that just aligns my heart with the Spirit in times of worship. Early on, that was probably fairly restricted to acts of contemporary praise, but there are times where we're singing together as a congregation, How Great Thou Art, or the, uh, the, It Is Well With My Soul, and I get absolutely caught up in the praise and the glory of God. The veil that so often just covers my eyes from witnessing and experiencing the presence of God just drops and I can experience that glory all around me. I connect the praise that we offer with words of affirmation. Because when we're proclaiming God to be the wonderful and mighty Lord, we get to offer those words with our mouths and it aligns with what we know in our spirits and what we know in our hearts. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've, what I've described resonates with you. And maybe it's you and you just haven't had the opportunity to really let yourself experience the depth of worship. Maybe for a concern of what people might think of you if you start to get a little too demonstrative or emotional in your worship. But maybe you have that wiring and you just haven't had a chance to absolutely express and experience that yet. But there's also something else that goes along with these words of affirmation. There's also an experience of Scripture. And maybe when you hear God's Word proclaimed in preaching, or maybe you sit down and dig in with Scripture, when you hear God's Word or read God's Word, there's something about hearing or reading the Bible that fans a flame inside of you. And if you feel that, those words of affirmation that God is relaying to you, above all, Scripture is telling us who we are in relationship with God. If we read what the Apostle Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Bible tells us about God's relentless rescue mission to save creation from death and destruction and brings us into life that is true and abundant and eternal. It tells us about how the kingdom of God that is coming, how it's marked by justice and righteousness, goodness and love. And even as God's word corrects us, these words shape our lives from the heart of one who loves us best and desires for us a pathway that guides us to peace and holiness and wholeness. Some of us just light up when we encounter those wonderful words of life. I can't count the number of times when I'm walking through a difficult valley and I turn to Romans chapter 8 that begins with the words, but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and ends with the words that there is nothing in all of creation who will be able to separate us from the love of God made known through Christ Jesus our Lord. And these are words that absolutely bring life in challenging times. It just lights me up. We get excited when the Holy Spirit speaks those words which help us find our part in this gigantic epic story of God reconciling creation to himself. And that leads to our second lesson this morning. Our relationship matures and deepens when we pour ourselves into this practice of love. Our relationship matures and deepens when we pour ourselves into this practice of love. Psalmist goes on, I promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I've suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. There was an older couple that was sitting at home, and they were reading in their separate recliners. The wife looked over at the husband. His eyes were half-closed, and the newspaper was folded down a little bit. So if he were fully conscious, he would be able to see the football game that was playing in front of him. She calls out, Ted? Ted? Wake up. I'm awake. What is it? Ted, I saw in this magazine that wives who hear the words, I love you, every day tend to have happier lives. It occurs to me that you don't really tell me I love you all that often. Why is that? You want me to be happy, don't you? Ted thinks for a second. He says, well, honey, I told you I love you once. I suppose I'll let you know if anything changes. There's a trend in recent years, and maybe you've noticed that there seems to be a greater dissatisfaction in the lives of some people when they are not living constantly Instagram-worthy moments. Through the availability of an endless timeline of perfectly photogenic moments, we find ourselves comparing our most mundane moments to other people's highlight reels. And as a result, we start to devalue the treasure found in the ordinary times of our life. Did you know that there's a season in the church calendar that's known as ordinary time? It's the season that we're actually in right now. The church enters into ordinary time after the season of Epiphany, which marks when the Magi gave gifts to Jesus. Ordinary sounds like it's boring, but here's where we got the term. It's not a season with special events or holidays. It's a time to focus on how God meets us in the plains of our lives, not just the mountaintops or the valleys. The word ordinary, in this case, comes from the phrase, attending to the ordinances of God, attending to those things which God has ordained. That's the third general rule for United Methodist people, if you're keeping track. The first is, by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind. The second is, by doing good, by being in every kind merciful after their power, as they have opportunity, doing good of every possible sort. 
And the third is by attending upon all the ordinances of God. Such are the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, and the supper of the Lord. So right now, today, you are attending to the ordinances of God. Worship, word, communion, these are sometimes referred to as means of grace, channels that God uses to uniquely meet with us in life. They're occasionally referred to as spiritual disciplines. And that's where we get to see our heart growth in this loving relationship with God. See, like all loving relationships, there are moments when we just feel it. There are moments when you just feel it to the core of your being. Your heart is all a flutter and your actions follow with spontaneous displays of affection. But maturing relationships cannot rely on just feeling it. There are times in every relationship when we aren't feeling it. But because we know that the relationship is important, we choose to act in loving ways because that's what love does. There are plenty of times when loving action precedes loving affections. We do the loving thing, and maybe loving feeling follows. And because we've chosen to extend ourselves charitably, we might find that affection return to us, in human relationships at least. Our relationship with God can function similarly. We never have to worry about whether or not God loves us. In the act of sending Jesus to take away our sin and shame and death, we can know that God finds us worth his while. But we may not always feel it. So on Sunday mornings, we wake up and think, we're going to go to worship today? I'm not sure I'm going to get anything out of it. Besides, it's kind of predictable. And maybe that's true. But maybe we miss something if we're only in it for the mountaintops and the valleys. Maybe there's something we gain in our choice to keep on trusting to keep on obeying and to keep on loving, even if we're not exactly feeling it. Maybe with that, we'll get to see our lives shaped into the unconditional part of God's love that doesn't just stick with us on sunny days, but through our storms as well. And when we've done that with enough frequency over time, we'll find ourselves more attuned to God's presence and guidance and peace, and maybe especially in ordinary time. That leads to our third lesson this morning. Allow yourself to delight in God's expression of love, even if it's not your primary language. Allow yourself to delight in God's expression of love, even when it's not your primary language. The psalmist continues, your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. And I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. When I had my aha moment of discovering that my spiritual love language is words, worship, and the scriptures, I had a hard time understanding people for whom that was not the case. In my early hyper-spiritual arrogance, I figured it's because I had an authentic relationship with God and other people didn't. If they couldn't feel that same thing, it's probably because they had not yet crossed that threshold into spirituality that I had. Given an opportunity, however, God doesn't let us hang on to that spiritual uh, superiority for too long. In a book titled Pharisectomy, which is subtitled How to Joyfully Remove Your Inner Pharisee and Other Religiously Transmitted Diseases, author Peter Haas has a chapter titled Rabid Pets, which also has a subtitle, which is If I Were to Accidentally Kill My Church, How Might I Do This? And it addresses folks who have unique experiences of God's presence in their lives, and their lives are impacted significantly by that particular encounter. But then they generalize that experience. Since it was that experience that worked on them, 
a specific Bible study, a particular retreat, a unique sort of mission trip, a style of music. They determine that it's, a, it's an experience that everyone needs to and must have. And by really pressing their own experience on other people, they elevate a specific channel and means over the actual object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. When that happens with too much force, it can have damaging and destructive tendencies. People can only hear that their experience of God is illegitimate and insufficient for so long before they get weary of it. So maybe worship or scripture aren't your primary means of connecting with the presence of God. Does that mean you can just tune out this part of your relationship with Jesus and only do the things that you're feeling? Not really. Like in our human relationships, if we only do the stuff we feel without taking the receptive language of the other into consideration, we will end up with a fairly shallow relationship. It can't be based solely on what we like best. It's based on giving and receiving love to the fullest extent possible. So if worship and scripture aren't your primary language, there's still a language that God uses to convey love to us. Whether you feel it or not, it is an act and sign of God's affection. By our participation in praise or in studying God's word, we'll be awakened to aspects of God's love that we might otherwise miss. For example, worship is the setting for sacred moments, sacraments, like Holy Communion, which is a language God uses to speak forgiveness and renewal into our lives.